I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Welcome to Sneaker Salaries. This is a brand new sneaker podcast. Just to start things off, we're going to focus on sneaker releases, this week being the Infrared Air Max 90s, the Nike Vapor Waffle by Sakai. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about some news, specifically uh, Kanye West's appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast. Most importantly, we have a special guest with us in every episode, someone who's going to teach you a little bit how to crack into the sneaker industry in maybe some unconventional ways. So joining us today on the show is Jock Slade. He's a host, producer, writer, director, and editor whose YouTube channel has over 1.2 million subscribers and more than 160 million views. He covers the latest sneaker releases, live event coverage, interviews with pro athletes, musicians, designers, and more. So, Jock, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me on the show. This is awesome. Jock and I go very, very way back. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, what? Probably 10 years? At least 10 years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. been a while, man. Uh, Jock, we met a while back, too. And uh, yeah. I've seen your rise, man. It's been so fun to see you kind of do your thing. And I remember you hit a million and, and kind of one yeah. of the first sneaker people to hit a million. So can you just give us a little background of kind of who you are, where you're from, and, and just give us a little bit of uh, who you are? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, my main job is really John's assistant. Uh, that's kind of how, <laughs> that's how I make, that's how I make my living around here is, uh, John pays me. Uh, no. So, uh, I'm a, I'm a YouTuber content creator, whatever it is you want to call it. Uh, I create content on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, grinder everywhere. I'm everywhere. Um, and it's really focused on like sneakers and technology and, trying to share the gospel of sneakers in one way or another. Like that's the goal is for me to share the passion that I love so much with the world and hopefully, you know, educate and entertain people in the process. Um, it's, it's been, it's been a super fun ride. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, John and I go back like 10 years. Uh, I started out writing, but you know, we'll get all, get into all of that later, but yeah, I'm just just super happy to be here. Super happy to talk to some of my peers, man. You know, I, I love what you guys do. So it's always good to be able to sit down and chop it up. Yeah, and we we can't, you know, let you close out without mentioning your epic uh, appearance on an episode of Community, which I recently <laughs> saw totally by random. What's it like working with uh, the great Chevy Chase? Uh, it was very, very interesting. So Chevy, uh, I, I don't know if you guys know, but Chevy wasn't on the later seasons of Community. Uh, for reasons that I'm not allowed to disclose, but uh, it, for me, it was like a long term, like a like one of those kind of like you never get to. This is not somebody I'm ever going to work with. Like being, you know, a guy from like from the hood, basically, and growing up, like not looking at people on TV and and idolizing them for the opportunity to actually work beside him was was actually pretty cool. And to do music and like rap, which is something that I love so much and like have him like almost in my environment while still being in his environment was, it was pretty dope. I really I enjoyed it. It was fun. Speaking of people that are hard to work with, we have Kanye West. Um, <laughs> he, he ran his mouth again. It's hard not to ignore Kanye, especially yeah. when you work in this space. Um, and you mentioned something about wanting to drop the, the Yeezy foam runners for 20 bucks. Wow. What do you guys think about that? It's it's interesting because like I listen to Kanye and I think like like Kanye knows what he's talking about, but he has these like wild tangents that it's like it's almost like he has so much stuff running through his head that he can't process everything and like everything just kind of spills out. There's like some things that should be like the inside voice just come out 
uh, as opposed to just staying in and like keeping what you're thinking. Um, I get what he's trying to do and I, I appreciate the effort. I just don't, I don't think that one, that uh, Adidas is going to be on board with that. Um, and, and, and two, um, is that the shoe that we want for $20? I guess is really the question that I have at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, I watched the interview and I think there's something to be said for, for what you said, Jock, about Kanye has this vision and believe me, he went on plenty of tangents on the Rogan show, but he talked about the designers that he kind of stole from Nike. He talked about trying to have that shoe for $20. I think that shoe could be feasible for $20, but then unfortunately, I think it sells out quick and ends up on eBay for $400. So I just think Kanye doesn't totally understand of kind of some of the resale stuff that happens uh, in the world. But uh, I mean, you can't deny his impact. You know, his impact on Adidas has been huge. And uh, the one thing he talked about was taking those designers. And uh, I wanted to touch on this, and Jock would love your take, and, and John as well. Kanye left Nike. He had the Yeezy one, the Yeezy two, and we all know he had some futuristic ideas with Nike and he's always loved Nike and Jordan. They wouldn't give him royalties. So that ended up being something that was a sticking point and he ended up jumping over to Adidas. And at this point, Adidas really wasn't as relevant. Um, and, and, you know, for, for the sneaker community, shell toes and all these other icons were still okay. But Kanye was seeing wearing the ultra boost, the all white ultra boost and then made Yeezys and it became a billion dollar and probably a several billion dollar, let's call it decision for Kanye to go over there. So, Jock, can you touch on that a little bit as far as Kanye's impact and his switch over to Adidas? Well, I mean, I, I think it's undeniable what he's been able to do. Like, there's no question that Kanye has impacted sneaker culture in a couple of different ways. Uh, obviously, he started with Nike, with the Yeezys and the Yeezy 2. And, um, you know, and I, and I would say not to he doesn't deserve full credit, but he helped, I would say, inspire the love of retros that I think the community has had over like the last 10 years in his early days at Nike uh, when he was wearing Nikes. And like when he was at the top culturally, like when Kanye was like popping, popping, he, you know, he helped shape culture, which is and, it, and it's great. So it's undeniable. And then for him, go, him to go to Adidas and to get all. A, a lot of the community into Adidas and following the hype that 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 was behind Kanye. So it's in that part, it is, you know, he made a difference and he changed the way that I think a lot of us looked at sneakers and the options that we have within sneakers, which is, you know, like the sign of a true influencer. He was able to take something that not a lot of people were into and really shape it and position it in a way that we we're like, oh, well, maybe maybe we can wear those or maybe that is maybe that is cooler than we thought it was um, or maybe we can style it this way. So he was able to do all of those things um, and I think deserves the the recognition that he gets, um, the money that he that he received. And, you know, I, I think he's made a big change for Adidas and they and deservedly so. I think my, my take on that is that, you know, we hear Kanye's side that he bounce from Nike because they didn't want to pay him royalties. I mean, I don't think Nike is stupid. I think Nike clearly had a vision of what Kanye could do. And I'm sure that maybe from like 2015 to 2017, when like Yeezys were just like crushing it, like they were like, shit, did we make a huge mistake by letting this guy walk away? But I think seeing Kanye in 2019, 2020, when he's just like off the rails and just like, he said a lot of stupid things as well. I think that's specifically what Nike was trying to avoid because, you know, Nike loves to like, you know, media train their guys and yeah. you know, their athletes always say the right thing. I mean, look at LeBron. LeBron's like so perfectly trained for media almost. And 
you know, Nike kind of likes their collaborative partners to be that way. And they knew that Kanye was a little bit, you know, off the rails a little bit. And maybe he wanted too much ownership. And kind of if you look at Adidas right now, like Yeezy is Adidas at this point. And yeah. they, I don't think they really wanted their collaborative partners to kind of overtake what they were unless it became its own brand. Like Nike and Jordan are two separate brands, of course. But at the time, you know, maybe in like in the 90s, like Jordan was everything, you know. So maybe maybe they saw like, okay, there was an opportunity to create a Yeezy brand under Nike. But Kanye is just kind of, you can't like lasso him in in any sort of way. And like, you know, like you said before, like he just doesn't have a train of thought. He just can't communicate one thought. Yeah. He's like, He's really like a genius, you know. He has. He's like, I was watching uh, Beautiful Mind. He's like John Nash, the character. Where, <laughs> yeah, well, he's yeah. he's a real person, and you just see him just scribble all this stuff on the walls, and everything connects to everything. That's I think what Kanye's you know thought process is. He just doesn't have like an A, B, C, D, or an E for him. It's like this like endless matrix of ideas, and it's like he's he's kind of restricted by the limits of modern technology almost, um, but. You know, going back to $20 foam runners, I mean, that shoe is ugly, but he's doing it because he wants the Yeezy name on everything. Like, everyone has yeah. an iPhone. Everyone wears, you know, everyone knows what a Big Mac is. Like, that's that's his Big Mac. It's a $20 Yeezy shoe. It's probably ugly, whatever. That's probably what he wants to do. Well, and John, yeah. you make a good point about Kanye being hard to wrangle. That is something that Nike really kind of has played that political game. They always kind of seem to have control. But I don't think Nike would have foreseen it would have been a billion-dollar endeavor. I mean, there's no way. If that was the case, I think they would have found a way to make it happen. I think at the time, Adidas had nothing to lose. It was something that Adidas had to take a risk. I would, I would argue you're right. I mean, Adidas is really Kanye and kind of Pharrell is really the only – their stuff is really the only thing that's, that's made them extremely relevant to go head, toe-to-toe and head-to-head with Nike. So – uh, with all that said, I mean, Jock, would love your take on kind of what do you think the future looks like, not only the foam runner, but what does that partnership with Kanye look like? And how do you think that evolves now that Wex has gone from Adidas as well, who is credited with bringing Kanye kind of into the fold? Can you talk about what you think the future for Adidas and Kanye holds? Um, I think the future for Adidas is interesting. They have a lot of interesting things. Uh, I always, It always feels like Adidas is just not able to get like over that marketing edge to make it uh, aspirational, like they make good stuff. Like there's no question about whether the stuff is good, whether the cushioning technology is good, whether prime knit is good, whether the stuff that they're doing with Parley is sustainable, like all of those things matter and all those things are important and they're relevant. But I just, I feel like they're, they're just not able to kind of get over that cusp of this is cool, um, or making, or this is aspirational, something that you want to get. Um, they're trying to do that with Beyonce. And I think that that will hopefully move the needle a little more the the pharrell stuff um it's interesting because you see like with pharrell as he sort of moves out of the limelight like the interest in his product kind of goes away as well so like for it's either pharrell needs to get back into the limelight and become you know, quote unquote popping again or they need to do something with the line to make it more interesting and aspirational again and like they haven't done either one of those things. Uh, Pharrell has a very unique slant to the way that his product is and the way that it's presented. And I personally love that, but we have to find a way to make that connect with a younger generation that's going to be into it. So I think that presents its own challenge there as well. Um, as far as the future of Kanye, I believe that he'll continue doing what he's doing. Like I, as much as we have um, 
take issue with some of the things that Kanye says and some of the things that Kanye does. I think the the main thing about Kanye is that he is looking to do things bigger than they've ever been done before by anyone that's in the industry. And you have to kind of respect that sort of ambition and that sort of um that that sort of thought process that wants to continue to grow, wants to continue to be big, whether that's coming from his ego or the fact that he sees that now as an opportunity. Um, I, I think from a from a cultural standpoint, there aren't a lot of people outside of sport that have been able to have a really significant cultural impact on on hip hop culture. I mean, uh, on fashion and on streetwear and on sneakers. And Kanye has been able to do all of those things. And even like even like me myself, like being in the position that I'm in now, I think about doing things now that I didn't think about doing 10 years ago when John and I first met. And those things are, are even more are more possible to me now than they've ever been. Um, and so I think when I think about Kanye, I think that he's, he sees things. There's things right outside of his grasp that he feels like this is attainable to me now. And he may not necessarily know how to get there, um, but he feels like he has, at least he has the vehicle to get there now with Adidas and with his brand Yeezy and the growth and expansion of the, of the Yeezy brand. He feels like he has the ability to get there. So when he says Coke, when he says Apple, when he says, you know, all of these things, all these big brand names, that is a reality to him now um, that I can actually do that. And I, you have to kind of admire that sort of ambition and that sort of forward thinking. I definitely agree. I mean, he's definitely, Kanye is at the very edge of ambition. You know, he can sell a billion dollars of sneakers with his eyes closed. And that's why he's thinking about stuff like the U.S. presidency and yeah. maybe starting his own, you know, he's looking up with uh, the Tesla, uh, Elon, Elon Musk, Musk. Yeah. you know, maybe he wants to start his own electric car. But uh, but yeah, you know, that's just Kanye. You know, we can talk about Kanye for, for ages, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of the trends that he kind of helped really, really purvey into sneakers um, are still here today. I mean, and one shoe that doesn't quite exactly resemble a Yeezy, but it seems to kind of have that same crossover in terms of it being like the it shoe with the mainstream, like the it cool shoe is the Sakai waffle. Of course, Sakai yes. is the Japanese uh, fashion label. Um, their LD waffle from last year was arguably the shoe of the year. It was the shoe to to have if you're a sneakerhead. It's the shoe to stand out amongst your friends. It's the shoe to post on Instagram just to be part of that sneaker conversation. And of yeah. course, next week they're they're drop, finally dropping the much anticipated sequel, the Vapor Waffle. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, it looks much different from the Sakai waffles. Or the waffle, it's the Sakai original Sakai waffle itself, the LD waffle. Sorry was already a crazy shoe now these kind of like take it that extra step like what's what's your first uh thought when you when you guys first saw this jordan what about you yeah i mean i'm i'm an og guy right john you know that i'm i'm all about like the lineage of nike and um you know this is a shoe that's really gone to a whole nother level right they evolved the actual model they're coming off the original waffle that nike did back in the in the 70s um they evolved that to be a really high performance shoe and then have now added the collaboration uh to that as well so I like it. I think it's interesting. I don't think I could rock it, but I appreciate it. I, I think uh, there's some cool colorways coming out. And um, it, it, it's just crazy to see the evolution of Nike from the OG stuff now to, you know, the high performance and then uh, them really becoming fashion. I think Nike's done a really good job of uh, adapting and evolving to uh, to have some really relevant fashion forward uh, products here over the last few years. So I, I, I personally like them. What about you, Jacques? Uh 
I, I like them. Uh, I, I don't have a pair yet. Uh, I've been trying. I tried to get the original pair, but I wasn't willing to pay resale quite yet. But I love these. I love the black. Like the black just looks really great to me. Um, I, and I'm very, as of lately, I would say probably the last two years, the thought of brands pushing things to the extreme and really like opening up what we expect from them has become very attractive to me. So when I see something like this, I see the mix of the old and something that pushes like fashion and design forward a couple years. And so that that excites me. So these are these are like definitely on my radar. And like the hope is like if I could get both of them, I'll definitely get both of them. If I only had to choose one, it would be the black pair um, just because that kind of fits along with my like mo- my fashion motif more than anything else. Um, but I, I love it. Uh, I think, again, I think it's fashion forward. I think it explores design. It kind of re- like it reminds me of like the ISPA stuff that's so crazy and so wild. And some of it is like, ah, like I probably wouldn't wear that, but I appreciate the art behind it. And I feel that same way with these, like really pushing the waffle and pushing what we we've come to expect from the design of a shoe and uh, and challenging us to like, is this is this where we're going or is this just like a blip on the radar? Yeah, I think like just uh, just to speak to that, I think when the first LD waffle first came onto the scene, like everyone was now customizing their shoes to look like this. And I think that's yeah. the key because so many people, so many young people are like, you know, just doing their own shit right now, which I think is great. You know, let the kids cook, as they say. Right. Yep. And you see them painting on like double swooshes and uh, doing all these Photoshop mock concepts and stuff like that. Like everyone, everyone who's into sneakers has some one on one basic grasp of photoshop these days so it's yeah. it's just great <laughs> to see people go on their personal igs and socials and just sharing this stuff so i mean i agree both are must have i kind of like the original more than these these have a little bit of that pegasus spin to it um but yeah you know these are going to sell out immediately you know sakai has they've been doing stuff with nike for a while but they really kind of like came onto the scene um with that first uh, project so again these drop november 6th I believe on the 13th in the u.s um, but speaking of OG things, maybe this is a shoe that's more to Jordan's liking. It's the Air Max 90 Infrared. These are finally coming back. You know, not just this shoe, but, you know, 2020 was the 30th anniversary of the, Air, of the Air Max 90. Some people might say that it was kind of a flop, but a lot of that could be attributed to just 2020 just being like the craziest year possibly ever. Um, so Infrared 90s, are these guys, are these like a must cop for you guys? Are you going to buy them? Are you going to pass or what? Yeah, John, this is, you're right. This is one of my favorite sneakers of all time, actually. The Air Max 90, 30th anniversary. We all remember when Tinker debuted that first visible air bubble with the Air Max 1, and then it evolved. And the 90, that infrared, is just iconic. It's something that, uh, the the gray tones and that, and uh, you know me, I like a bulky shoe. So uh, I love this. I I think uh, it wouldn't be uh, an episode, it wouldn't be an inaugural episode if I didn't mention Tinker Hatfield. So um, you know, I, I, I love the shoe. I love the fact that they, they timed it well with the 30th anniversary. Um, and I'm just, exci- I am excited. I'm probably going to try to grab two pairs actually. Is this, so is this the Air Max 90 or is this the Air Max 3? Like, is this, what- it's, it's never going to be the Air Max 3. <laughs> it's not, they should just stop. So just, just a little, uh, a little backstory on that, you know, Nike, you know, the, the shoe was never called the Air Max 90. It was just called the Air Max. Every year, Nike would come out with a new Air Max running shoe called the Air Max. That was just their flagship model. 
So they would just kind of like uh, volumize it as like Air Max 2, Air Max 3, et cetera, et cetera. And they became the Air Max 90 in the late 90s, early 2000s because they just needed to differentiate one from the other. And now that Nike is really trying to push this like original story, they're referring to it as an Air Max 3. And I'm sorry, Nike, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> you know, the people just refuse to call it that way. So this is the Air Max 90. Even though I got to say the shape of it is great. I don't really wear Air Max 90s too much, but the way they recrafted it to be like true to the original, I'm hearing some great things. I so are the, I yeah. knew I would get John to say something about that. I knew it, I knew oh, it was yeah. coming. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I actually have some like older pairs of of this colorway, so I don't think I'll be like doubling up on these. I don't think I have a need to double up on these because I have pairs already. Um, but definitely an OG, definitely something I feel like if you're getting to that stage and you're sneaker collecting or sneaker culture, wherever you want to call it, where you feel like you want to get some of the OGs and originals, this is one of those that you should definitely have in your closet to kind of pull out every once in a while. Yeah. And if you're not into sneakers and you really want to get started, this is honestly one of these shoes that you, that I believe belong in like the Mount Rushmore of sneakers. If you're not sure what Air Max shoe to get, this is the shoe to buy. It's one that will always turn ahead. So it'll get the attention of people who are and are not into sneakers. Yeah. Um, me personally, just like you, Jacques, I have older pairs. I don't really need them. I don't really wear Air Max 90s, which means I'm probably going to end up buying three pairs for myself. So <laughs> that's just what I do. Um, so yeah, again, this is, you can't really pass up on these. This is the one Air Max 90 to buy. So, yeah. you know, we've covered everything in terms of uh, latest topics. You know, we've covered the, the two big releases. Of course, this week was, you know, election week. So there's aren't too many hot drops. So we want to now focus our attention on our guest, Jacques Slade. Again, um, just to kind of recap, you know, I've known Jacques. Jordan also has known Jacques for, for many, many years. We kind of came up in this industry together when a sneaker blogger was an actual thing. And now it's like... I'm not saying I kind of like roll my eyes at that term, but it's just, it's we're not sneaker <laughs> blockers anymore. Yeah. And I do remember having a conversation with Jacques when I think you, at one point you were considering working with us at Sneaker News. Yeah, You're like, you know, what, what should be my next step? And I said, look, there's too many people writing about shoes. You should just keep doing the video thing. And this is before YouTube really popped off. This is before any sort of video. So I'm just saying this right now. I take all the credit for your success. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, again, at the beginning of this, I said, I'm John's assistant. This is how, this is how I get paid. John, John takes care of the kid. So talk about like, you know, when you were making video and nobody else was, did you think that you were just kind of wasting your time or did you think you were crazy like what am i doing um i don't think i thought i was crazy um it just i guess i just didn't know you know what i mean it was one of those things where you just didn't know what was going to happen i you know like i started making video because i couldn't compete like if we're going to keep it a buck i started making video because i couldn't compete with guys like like john and like brendan like i just i just i wasn't as good of a writer as they are and so like video was kind of like my way to differentiate myself from them. Like, yes, I could write about sneakers, but I didn't feel like I had the nuance or the eloquence that like John and, and Brendan had when they were write about sneakers. And so for me, I, I chose to make videos and I didn't know that it would become what it is now um, and that video would take over so much of the world of sneakers back then. I just thought it was something that I could do that no one else was doing. I mean, because back then, this was what, 2010, 2011, to, like between like 2010 and 2013, nobody was really doing video. Like this is before Complex got into it with sneaker shopping, before uh, before Matt and uh, I mean, for George was doing uh, Sneak Peek, like all of these 
things that kind of came out of that world. This was just kind of me just throwing my hand out there and being like, and hoping that this was something that would just kind of make me unique. And it just, it grew into what it is now, me not knowing that it would grow into what it is now. Um, I don't want to make it seem like I was the first because there was like Fran, Fran was already doing videos on YouTube back then, back in 2010, 2009. Um, there was a guy named Sneak Geeks that was uh, that was doing videos back then. Um, I even think Rich was doing video, some video back then now, every now and then. So like, this is all kind of, I wasn't one of the first, I think I was just one of the ones that took it really seriously and tried to use it as a replacement for a, a sneaker blog back then, because there were, there were like huge sneaker blogs back then. Um, and I, I wasn't able to compete with them. And so I had to find some way to make my voice heard. And so video was that avenue. That makes sense. And um, Jock, can you talk about you weren't you said you weren't one of the first or you were one of the first, but you weren't the first, but you've become the best. And I think we can all agree. I mean, one point two million uh, subscribers and, and 160 million views. Can you talk about that journey to get to that point, kind of being persistent, being the one who stuck with it the most uh, and then what that's meant to you? And, and you've also built some of the best relationships with sneaker brands and then also a lot of these other sponsors. So can you talk about your journey to get there, how you built those relationships and and then kind of how you actually make money? Yeah. So, uh, so the journey here was <laughs> kind of long. So from 2010 to 2013, I was actually working for a sneaker blog, creating videos. Um, and then in 2013, we went our separate ways and I started doing videos on my own, but through that process from 2010 to 2013, I had been working with the brands, you know, just like everyone else. And so they they showed showed me a lot of support, uh, and so that allowed me to continue to create content um, based on those relationships. And for me, because I it was just literally just me, I focused on how can I make the best thing that I can, even if it took me longer to do it. Um, I would still try to make the best thing or make it so much different than everything else that was out there. Uh, I remember. It probably took me about a week and a half for, I believe it was the Jordan 2012. Um, I did, because uh, there was, uh, I believe there was three insoles for that one, or maybe it was two insoles, interchangeable outsoles for that one. And so I wrote a script, and this is back with YouTube. So I wrote a script for every insole as a character. And I created uh, like this multi, like, um, choose your own adventure style video for that shoe. Um, because again, trying to find some way to make my content different than everything else that was out there. Um, because again, I just knew I couldn't compete on the written side and on the picture side. So this was my opportunity to do a video. So it was like me in the middle talking to myself and then having like four different versions of me. And I put on four different outfits for like four different characters. Um, but so like, it was those things like that to help really just to try to help stay creative, but also kind of speak to the industry in a way that hadn't, it hadn't been spoke to before. And so from 2013 to probably 2015, maybe 2016, I'll say, I actually probably more like, yeah, 2016, I'll say it was like barely making any money. Like, I mean, barely making enough to, to like pay bills. You know, fortunately I was married and I had a wife that was, that was super supportive. Um, but you know, part of that time I was, you know, unemployment, you know what I mean? Just trying to make, just trying to make things work. 
and doing little jobs here and there. I was making videos during the day, but at lunchtime, I was working for the city to go take pictures of the events that they were throwing around the city. Or if a friend was getting married, I was taking pictures of their wedding. Or uh, if there was a party going on, I was taking pictures at the party. Or if my friend was DJing, I was helping him carry crates into the into the event. Like I was doing everything I could on the side until I made enough money where this could become my actual job. And that wasn't, I, I would imagine like it didn't become like my job job until probably 2016, um, where it was like, this is what I can do all just, just do this. And those first couple of years, it wasn't like, and even then it wasn't rosy. It was like, I was still doing, you know, two, three videos a week, maybe even four videos a week to try to keep content going. Um, the real change came for me, I think, is when I started doing unboxings. Uh, I had no idea that was going to be the differentiator for me because by that time, there were other people in the sneaker world doing unboxings on, on YouTube. And I didn't think that um, I could do it any different than anybody else. But I had started watching a lot of technology videos. And so I just borrowed from the technology world of how they were shooting videos and how they were shooting content, how they were shooting unboxings. And that kind of became my thing because it was so different. The quality was different. I was using multiple angles, using multiple cameras. I was shooting B-roll and doing all these things that the sneaker industry wasn't really used to when it came to sneaker YouTube. And so that also set me apart, which led to brands wanting to work with me because they saw it was something different that people were kind of resonating with. And so that kind of set the tone for me as well. And as far as brands, you know, I, I my my philosophy is to always do more than what they expect, uh, especially when they're paying you. You know, uh, like my goal, my, the goal for me isn't to accumulate a bunch of sneakers. The goal for me is to spread the word about again, like about the passion that I have. So share the the love that I have for sneakers and educate people and entertain people, and hopefully through that get them into sneakers as well or give them a better understanding of sneaker, give them a better understanding of the technology and all of those things. So like, that's the main goal for me. And I think as long as I do that, that's going to be more than what I think any brand is going to expect from, from me at the end of the day. And so that is what allowed me to start making money with the brands and the brands start collaborating with me. Um, I would think I would think about like going to a lot of activations. John and I have John and I have gone to a ton of sneaker events together. And like when you start to see some of those things, you, you know, you start to get ideas. Oh, they probably should have did this. This would have been cool if they would have did this this way. Or this would have been cool if they did this this way. And so I started putting together decks of the ideas that I had of telling brands like, hey, why don't you do this for the next activation? Uh, I remember uh, John, you know, Josh, I sent Josh a full out deck about the KD6 for an idea that I had of how to roll out the shoe, how it would go to ESPN, how it would be used in the NBA, how they could use the army for it, how they could use um, influencers for it. Like I sent this whole idea deck out to just, um, just because one, I was just passionate about it. And uh, two, I think it was like to show that I can do more than just talk about sneakers. And I think once you kind of hit that point where they realize you're more than just somebody that talks about sneakers and that you're creative um, and that you have a, that you have a vision and that you can help them mold their vision. You have an understanding of the community. I think that is what allowed me to really start working with brands in a way that um, that became fruitful for both of us instead of me just kind of reporting on what they give me. And I think that's a, an interesting comparison can be made to, to Kanye, what we just said. You know, Kanye can 
sell a billion dollars worth of sneakers with his eyes closed. You can make a YouTube sneaker unboxing video with your eyes closed. It's always yeah. about thinking about what what what's the next step, what's beyond this, and what what other value do I add? You know, and I think like when you pretty much nailed the like the production value of sneaker unboxings, you know, like it can't really be touched anymore. It's like it looks like a full-on production, yeah. you know, and it's just crazy to think how there was a period in time where if it wasn't like this like beautifully shot thing, like people weren't really paying attention to it. But in the last couple of years, you know, media has changed so much. Yeah. Everything was gorgeous slow pan shots and like <laughs> slow-mo with flames in the back. And now everything has to be shot with a phone. Everything needs to be look needs to look like it's super raw, super rough, no edits whatsoever. I was walking around Manhattan the other day, first time in like months, and I just see so many people dancing in front of like nothing, it seems like. And I look closely and they have their phone propped up against a wall and they're just dancing and that's content now. So how do you, one of the most polished YouTubers probably out there in general, especially when it comes to product, how do you attack that change in trend in the way people are consuming content right now? Um, I think I think you have you definitely have to adapt, but uh, I think you have to kind of keep it true to who you are as well. So for me, uh, I, I have let go a little bit of some of the content. Like for me, for a while, everything that I put on social was like super polished and produced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started to let go of that um, a, a lot more recently. I would say probably within twenty twenty. I've let go a lot of a lot a lot of that and started to just being like, okay, like it's okay if you just do it on your phone. As much mm-hmm. as I, as much as like on the inside, I'm like, ah, I can make this look so much better. Um, I, I have to realize that it's not about it's not about that. It's, it's a lot a lot of times it's about the emotion. It's about the feeling that it's giving, and I can do that from my phone. Like it's more about like the cadence of my voice, the personality that I give, as opposed to the quality of it and the way that it looks um, as tough as it is, as it is for me, the, that that's definitely been a change for me in 2020 is adapting to that um, more so on social than it is on like YouTube and like mm-hmm. the content that I put up on YouTube. But um, there's definitely like something to be said about, about, about that. And, and for creators out there, uh, if I can, you know, just take a, just a quick moment, like don't feel like you need the latest and greatest in equipment in order to create content because you don't like I I didn't have that when I started out like I I, I set, tell this story all the time I literally had um like the college dorm room triple lights that you get from uh from Target like with the on the long pole with the three lights at the top I had that I had a sheet from Michaels and I had a little point and shoot camera because back then like your uh your cell phone wasn't shooting video as good as it does now but you don't even need that anymore. Like you can literally get a green sheet from from Michaels and your iPhone and set it up and record and create content that goes up on YouTube and get millions and millions of views and millions and millions of subscribers. Like you don't need the latest and greatest equipment. If anybody tells you that, that is a full blown lie. These things are tools. They are not the idea. They are not the creative. They just help you get the vision out. But that vision is that vision that vision gap of how you see things and how they come out is getting close is closing slower and slower and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller i mean even through this pandemic you saw that with like shows on nbc and like late night with colbert and and all these like talk shows they were shooting stuff on iphones so if they can do that and put it on television you can definitely do it and put it on and put it on youtube i think the key here is that 
um, as long as you're doing something that's authentic to your authentic to yourself yeah. and you're bringing something new to the table, then there's going to be room for you. Yep. If you also want to make a sneaker unboxing video, guess what? There's no room for you. There's too many unboxing <laughs> videos out there right now. Everyone wants to be a creator, and I think that's great. I think it's pushing people to to really make something out of nothing, and I think that's really really big. But I think the key really here is is you know. Bring something new to the table. Yeah. Don't be af- be be afraid to be yourself, and always try to think two, three steps ahead. You know the whole thing, like you know, dress for the job that you want, kind of thing. Always mm. think two, three steps ahead. You know, and I think um, that's something that you know our audience, or particularly the purpose of this podcast, is not just to talk about sneakers, but to see how some of us got to where we are today. Because look, it's a it's a small, big industry. You know, yeah. I know everyone at complex i know everyone at kicks on fire i know everyone on uh soul collector what what have you like we all know each other and we're all yep. friends because it's a very small yet big industry so the truth is yeah there is room for more people to create and make a name for themselves you know but it doesn't have to be everything but and at the same time you have to bring something new yeah. If you're just going to try to follow someone at the same speed, like you're never going to pass the guy, you know? So yeah. that's just my personal take on it. And I think me seeing your career, personal career grow from where it was before, before to where it is now, it's, 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 it's pretty easy to identify yeah. why you got to where you got to, why you got to where you are today, you know? Thank you. So um, it's that. pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Jock, I'll say this to end. I mean, I speak for Yu Ming and John and Sneaker News and all of us here when I say, you know, we appreciate what you've brought to the sneaker world and your persistence and your ability to kind of help with the growth and, and bring a new voice has been something that we've really enjoyed watching. And uh, not only are you a great content creator, but you're a great guy. You're always been, you've always been generous with your time and, and uh, your knowledge. So um, I speak for everybody when I say thank you uh, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for everything you've done for the sneaker world and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely, absolutely, man, and and thank you, thank you guys for having me on. I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm taking too much credit. Like I'm just a guy, like anybody else, you know that 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 found a way that found a way to get in. Um, so I can't I can't take too much credit, but I thank you and I I appreciate you guys. So before we go, uh, just uh, want to just give give us a quick plug. Just you know, tell our tell our um tell everyone who's listening where to find you on social and how to find you on YouTube. Okay, uh, you guys. Don't follow me. Follow Sneaker News. Uh, they are the coolest sneaker blog out there. They're at Sneaker News on Instagram and on Twitter and uh, sneakernews.com. So make sure you follow them. Uh, you don't need to follow me. Uh, if you, For some reason, uh, you're in the depths of depression and you just want to follow somebody, uh, you can follow me. Uh, it's at Kusto, K-U-S-T-O-O. Uh, that's all over the interwebs, anywhere, anywhere there's, you're able to put an avatar of a face. I'm there at Kusto. But again, it's not worth your time. Follow Sneaker News. They're the people you want to follow. I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. No problem. So that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries. But let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B-E-E-J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a gallery media group original production.